You know, folks, we, we have been going through First Peter for the last few months, looking at the issue of passing through. You know, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I are only here temporarily. We say, I've lived in Clearfield County all my life. I understand that, but you're still only here temporarily because after you die, you're going to go somewhere else where you'll spend eternity. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are here only for the moment in light of eternity. And as a believer, God calls us to live a certain way. We are to live a certain way as sojourners or pilgrims. That's the word he uses often in this letter to refer to you and I as Christians. Now, the difficulty is, is that the world we live in isn't the greatest. The world we live in is actually quite unfair. It's unjust. You say, oh, what are you talking about, George? You've been listening to the news too much? No, no, I don't even have to listen to the news. I can just interact on a daily basis with people and realize that life isn't fair. Have you realized that? That things don't necessarily go right. Things happen out of the blue you weren't even expecting. And you're supposed to adjust to that. You want to react. Isn't that our natural tendency is to react to what we perceive as the unfairness and the unjustness of the world. And so what really is going on is, is that you and I are, quote, living on the edge. We're living on the edge just waiting for the next thing to happen. Now, I want to make a couple points here about living on the edge. So again, you know, when you came in, hopefully you got a bulletin, and on the back of the bulletin is a section for you to fill out. So I've, I've got some points I want to make here about living on the edge. Here's the first one. Humanity lives in a continual battle against the unjust nature of the world. Humanity lives in a continual battle against the unjust nature of the world. We learned that from when we were very young. I, in fact, I, I don't talk about with my family very much about my background. They'll say, oh, Dad doesn't mention that very often. But I, when I was preparing for this message and thinking about fairness, I had several things pop into my brain about my childhood. And not so much about unfairness, but my reaction to what I perceived as unfairness. So tell me if this wasn't true in your house. This was true in my house. We would always have a meal together, okay? And, uh, you know, dad was there, mom, my brother, and my sister. I was the oldest, so dad's at the head of the table, and I sat at the other end of the table. Mom sat here. My brother and sister sat here. And mom would dish out the meal. Now, my mom is German. I mean, she is from Germany, born in German, has an accent, okay? And she would dish out the meal. So maybe she made a goulash, and I love goulash, okay, with mashed potatoes. And she would heap on the mashed potatoes on our plate and put the goulash on. And, and, and then I would say, it's not fair! Gary has more potatoes than me! Or, it's not fair, he's got more sweet tea in his glass than me, look! It's not fair. Oh, here's a better one. 
It's not fair. You gave me more green beans than him. Was that, you know, we start off young reacting to the unfairness of the world, right? My mom's response would be to give me more green beans. You think this is unfair here? And that, that's life. We, 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 we deal with it daily, right? It's unfair. You're letting so-and-so get away with not doing anything, and you're giving me more work at work. We, we live in a, a we, our humanity is in a continual battle against the unjust nature of our world. We see it on the news. We live it in school. We live it in our neighborhoods. We live it even in our families, right? Think about some of the family brouhaha's that have happened because you seem to be favoring them over us, you know. We live in an unfair world. We live on the edge. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Our tendency is to fight against the unjust hardships we endure. That's our tendency. In fact, our culture encourages that. You know, our culture basically says, look, if you don't take care of yourself, nobody's going to take care of you. And we've bought into that. We've, we've owned that line. If I don't take care of myself, nobody else is going to take care of me. So I need to deal with this. And so our tendency is to fight against the unjust hardships we face. And, and I'll be honest with you folks, I don't want to trivialize it. It is unjust. It is unfair. Life is hard. And the things that happen shouldn't happen. And some of you have endured atrocities in your life. Nobody is trivializing that. And the natural human response is to react to that, to be angry, to be unforgiving. Isn't that why we struggle with unforgiveness, isn't it? We struggle with unforgiveness because somebody hurt us. Somebody did us wrong. And we're having a hard time letting go. And you've heard enough messages about forgiving, and you just can't seem to bring yourself to do that, right? We are in a constant, continual battle against the unjust hardships we endure. Now, what we want to forget is, and we want to forget it, is that God calls us to something different. God calls us to respond in a different way. Because humanity, remember, if you don't take care of yourself, who's going to take care of you? Humanity actually calls you to respond in a different way. Excuse me, God calls you to respond in a different way. God calls you to endure. Endure? What do you mean, go through it? I don't want to go through that. Yeah, God calls you to endure it because you need to have a different perspective. You need to have an eternal perspective. You need to have the perspective of a pilgrim. You need to have the perspective of a sojourner who realizes he's only passing through here. There is something far better later on, and there is a God who will take care of all things later on. 
And that's what we're going to look at today. We're actually going to look at it today from something very interesting. It's some instructions that he gives to, of all people, slaves. Now, to be honest with you, before this message, I used to think in terms of these passages about instructions for slaves. Oh, you know, how do we equate that today? Well, you know, instructions for how you act at work because you're a slave at work, right? And the master is the boss. You know, and how do you respond to the boss who's mean or unjust? And Well, you know, I used to think that way until I realized, you know, that's, that's really not what he's talking about here. He's talking about people who are in an unjust situation. And, and so that you understand, the Bible doesn't trivialize slavery. It just recognizes it's a part of the world. In Paul's day, he wasn't addressing how to get rid of slavery because slavery was just a natural consequence of the Roman Empire. If Rome went into an area, if the people embraced Rome, they weren't slaves. But if Rome conquered an area, all the inhabitants of that area would now become what? Slaves. So much so that 60 to 70% of the Roman Empire, are you ready for this? 60 to 70% of the population were slaves. You might, your accountant might be a slave. Your doctor might be a slave. Slaves own slaves in that culture. And so that was the nature of the world. It was very unjust. And so Paul, when he, Peter, when he gives these instructions, Paul gives instructions as well, but Peter, when he gives these instructions, he's talking about how they're to adjust to their unjust situation. They're to adjust to the harshness of the world they live in right now. And folks, we can learn from that because you might not be a slave, but you might be in the midst of something that's unjust. That's not fair, right? You might be going through something you don't deserve to go through, but you're going through it. So how do you respond as a Christian? How do you respond as a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus? So let's look at the passage. We're going to look at verses 18 through 25. It's going to be up on the screen. So notice with me. Here's what he says. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the, the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God, we, towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to you, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, when he suffered, did not threaten, but committed himself to God who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For we are like sheep, going astray. 
but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We're going to look at a couple of things here. We're going to talk about existing in life. He's going to tell us how to exist in an unfair, unjust world from the perspective of a slave. Something that you and I can learn from. And then we're going to see what our example is. Because you're like, okay, that's cool. I'm supposed to act this way, but how am I supposed to do that? Well, you're supposed to look to somebody as your example, and that somebody is Jesus. So let's first of all look about look at existing in life. Look at verses 18 through 21. First of all, look at verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Now, let me just stop for a moment. What he's giving instructions here comes out of what he said earlier in the passage where he talked about in verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. He's talking about how we live our lives among those who are unbelievers. And folks, we all live among unbelievers, right? Okay, so how do we live? Especially in an unjust world. So then he comes down to verse 18, and he's going to give these specific instructions to these slaves who are definitely living in an unjust world. And here's the first thing he says. In order to live un honorably among unbelievers, we must be submissive to our superiors. I mean, he's, it just flat out says that. He says, look, verse 18, be submissive to your masters, whether they're good, they're a good boss, or, or whether they're harsh or, or bad. The fact of the matter is, is you need to be submissive. You need to place yourself, submission means, to place yourself under their authority. You need to be submissive to them. And immediately, as soon as I say that, your natural human reaction is, okay, you've got to be kidding me, George. You don't know who my supervisor is. And you don't know how unrealistic he is. You don't know the demands he makes. In fact, George, I'm doing his job. He's just pulling a check. Yeah, I understand that. I've been there. I've reacted the same way you've reacted. But to be honest with you, I... I'm only communicating what God is saying to you. That as a sojourner, as a pilgrim, as a follower of Jesus who recognizes you are only living here for the moment, if you're going to live in an honorable way among unbelievers, you need to be submissive to those who are in authority over you, whether they are a good leader or a bad leader. And let's be honest, there's a lot of bad leaders, aren't there? A lot of selfish people. Do you understand? Just because you got a job in management doesn't mean your selfishness got checked at the door, right? So he's saying, if you're going to exist in this life, we've got to recognize that our lives are to be a testimony to those who are around us, so therefore be submissive. You say, okay, all right, I'm going to have a hard time with that one, but what's your next point? Okay, here's the next one. Look with me at verse 18 through 19 but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. 
Now here's the point I want you to see. This is what is missing. This is actually a point that we don't grasp. But it's there. We find favor with God when we bear with our unjust situations. All right, let me just stop for a moment because that just seems so weird and contradictory. All right, just let me stop for a moment. We live in a Christendom today, in a North American Christianity, where whether we realize it or not, that has been influenced by a prosperity theology in some form. Not, not the health and wealth necessarily that you see if you send me 10 bucks, God will bless you with 100. Or if you have enough faith, you won't get sick or you'll get, be blessed. That, that's the extreme version of prosperity theology. But actually, all Christian churches in America are embracing a subtle form of it, and that is, what's the subtle form? That if I follow God, everything's supposed to go okay. And if everything doesn't go okay, God must be unhappy with me. Isn't that what we think? Yeah, think about the last time you went through a difficult situation. Your engine blew up on your car. What's the first thing that came out of your mouth? What did I do, God? Isn't that true? I thought I confessed everything, Lord. I thought I dealt with this one. Why are you doing this to me? We think that there's something wrong in our relationship with the Lord. But Peter comes along, and he actually is going to tell us the exact opposite. He tells us, especially in verse 19, that when you endure harshness, when you endure suffering in the midst of doing well, God blesses you. He shows favor to you because he recognizes what you're going through. How does he show favor and blesses you? It's not that he increases the size of your wallet, folks. But the scripture very clearly tells you what? He gives you grace. What does he say to Paul? Paul says, you know, because of this thorn in the flesh, I asked God three times to take it from me. And what does he say? The scripture very clearly says, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made, what? Perfect in your weakness. He gives you grace. What else does he do? He gives you wisdom. James chapter 1, if anyone lacks wisdom, if you're suffering, if you lack wisdom, let him what? Ask of God who gives what? Liberally. Let me just stop for a moment. That's the number one thing we struggle with when we're going through it. Well, how am I going to get through this? How can I figure out how to get through this? God, give me what? Wisdom. Grace and wisdom, strength, favor. See, let's back up. So the first thing he says is, be submissive to your superiors, whether they're good or bad. And if you are enduring hardship, what? God shows favor to you. God's with you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome to know that he is mindful of me, he acknowledges me, and, and that I find favor with him when I bear with this? And so he gets to verse 20 and 21, and this is what is hard, because again, we've embraced this concept of a prosperity theology. 
Look at what it says. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults? You take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called. Let me read that again. For to this you were called. Here's the point. Our calling as pilgrims is to endure the hardships of life. All right. I want you to, I want you to think with me for a moment, okay? First of all, anybody here ever had a perfect life with no problems whatsoever? Could you please stand up and let us say, oh, wow. There's no one here that fits that bill, right? There's no one in humanity that fits that bill. The rest of us are like, when it rains, it pours. You know, you know what I'm saying? In fact, want to know a good metaphor? You know the, the weather we've been having lately for the last six months where it's like raining every day? That's like our life, right? Where there's one problem after another. But if you embrace that prosperity theology thing, you think there must be something wrong with you. You think that God must be angry with you. You think that God must not love you, that God has abandoned you, because you shouldn't be going through this stuff, right? You've been lied to. Because Peter, the apostle, comes along and he says to you, hey folks, if you're a follower of Jesus... You were called to this, to endure, to suffer. You were called to this. You say, oh, come on, George, man, that, I came here to be encouraged today, and you dumped that one on me? I didn't dump it on you, it's already happening. I'm just reminding you. Then the reason why you're responding negatively to it is because you think for some reason that life here is supposed to be wonderful. But folks, the wonderful life that you're supposed to have comes later. That's the hope that you have to hang on now. Do you understand what I'm saying? If, if The reality is, is I deal with a lot of people in this world, both believers and unbelievers, and I'm always amazed at one thing, the lack of hope people have now. Have you noticed that? People have a lack of hope about how they're going to make it and how they're going to get through things. And if you don't know Jesus, it's even more desperate because you don't have a hope. But if you know Jesus, you need to cling to the hope that you have. That yes, it's rough here. Yes, you're enduring. But there is something more later on because you are a pilgrim. You are here as a sojourner. You're only just passing through this world. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're just passing through. And something better is coming. 
I kind of liken it to this. You know, a few years ago, uh, um, a friend of mine invited my family to go to their home up in Prince Edward Island. So we, we took a road trip and we went north, okay? And uh, of course, we, you know, we cruised in one day through New York, up through Massachusetts, and got to Maine, and then from Maine into New Brunswick and got on a ferry and went to PEI. Stayed with them, and then we were on our way back. And we went a different way, and we went down from the top of Maine to get all the way down to the bottom of Maine where we were going to stay in a hotel. That was a terrible trip. Because if you've ever ridden with George, George stops every two hours to get a drink and to go to the bathroom. But that section of 95, there's nothing there through Maine. We even broke out a smartphone. Where's a McDonald's? Well, there's one five miles off the road. We're not doing that. So you endure. George is enduring the road trip till we get to a populated area. That's life, isn't it? We endure. We need to endure. At least I had a hope. There's a somewhere down the road there will be a McDonald's. Did you know what I'm saying? We need to endure because somewhere down the road there is something better. Who? Jesus. And you'll be with him. And then when you read Revelation chapter 20 and 21, 22, what? He'll wipe every tear from your eye. There'll be no more suffering, no more death, no more difficulties. Our calling as pilgrims is to endure. We say, okay, George, how do we do that then? How do we do that? What's, what's our example? Because if you want me to look at you, you don't handle it very well. Yeah, you just ask Lori. I'm not the one to look at for the example of how to handle this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I don't want to go into the latest thing to happen, okay? Okay? I got a steady Eddie for a wife, and if I didn't, I'd be lost. But here's our example. It's Jesus. Three things I want to point out that Paul Peter brings out about Jesus, okay? Number one, the basis for our endurance is the example of our Lord Jesus. Verse 21, look at what he says. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. You want to know how to endure it? Look to Jesus. Look at how he handled it. He was without sin and he endured. Look to him. In fact, you don't need to just look to him. You can ask him for help because he's given you the Holy Spirit. He said, when I leave, I'll give you what? Another comforter. And he'll be with you. And he'll guide you. He'll strengthen you. He'll lead you. The basis of endurance is, is the example of Jesus. Here's what else he says. Verse 22 and 25. Though Jesus was sinless, he endured the hatred of men for our sake. See, what got Jesus through the things that he... First of all, let me just stop for a moment. Jesus is God. Does everybody understand that? Do you think the people who were beating him, the people who were scourging him, the people who were mocking him, the people who challenged him all along the way, do you think he could have just spoken the word and that would have been the end of it? 
Yeah, I mean, at one point he says, I could command 10,000 angels. But he didn't. Why? Why did he endure it? Us. He had a bigger perspective. Us. There's a reason God calls us to endure this. It's for others. We're to live honorably among unbelievers so that they can what? See Jesus. So that they can find Jesus. He endured it for us. For our sake. He endured it. Here's the third thing. In spite of this, in spite of the hatred, in spite of what he's going through, in spite of this, Jesus committed himself to the righteous judge of the universe. Here's the reality. You and I only think for the moment, the moment we're in. God's calling us to think beyond the moment we're in. What do you mean by that, George? Well, he's calling us when you go through what you're going through, and when I go through what I go through, and when we suffer the unjustness of the world and the unfairness of the world and the harshness of what others are doing to us, we, as we endure, are committing that situation and committing that problem that we're going through, and we're committing the outcome of that and the, and the fact that God will one day come and he will what? Set it all straight. Let me give you, this just, just came to my mind. Revelation chapter, chapter 3, verse 9. He says, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. That's referring to those who are unbelieving Jews, who say they are Jews or not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before you, your feet and to know that I have loved you. What's he talking about there? Well, he's talking to this church. The church he's talking to is the church of Philadelphia. He's saying to them, these people who are oppressing you, these people who are doing unjust things in your life, these, this group of people who say they are followers of God, but they're not, I'm going to make them, he's saying, in the future, come and acknowledge you and that I have loved you. What is he talking about here? He's talking about the divine retribution that's to come. He's talking about how when he makes things all right. Because isn't that what we struggle with, especially those of us who are struggling with unforgiveness? They'll never, they never even acknowledge that they've done anything wrong to me. Folks, there'll be a day when they will acknowledge that they've done wrong to you. Because Jesus will be there. And he sets things all right, doesn't he? He will. So you endure. That's what Jesus was doing. I, I, you know, I, I've thought about this many times in my meditations. I've thought about those who put him on the cross, those who condemned him, the high priest and the, and the Sanhedrin and everything. The look of shock on their face when they woke up one day when they died and they realized they were staring into the face that they put on the cross. Isn't that a... Wouldn't that be a sight of terror? (coughs) 
See, that's how Jesus was able to endure. He knows that one day there's a righteous God who will what? Set everything right. So you're going through it right now. Hold on. But it's never been resolved. The other thing never got resolved. It didn't get resolved now, but right now is not the end of everything, right? God doesn't settle accounts now. He settles accounts later on. Do you realize that? So what do we do with this? Let me give you two thoughts here. Two thoughts for you to wrestle with when we talk about living in an unfair world, okay? Here's the first one. It's very practical. If we're going to live honorably among unbelievers, we must let things go. Let it go. Some of you are holding on to things and it's eating you alive. You ever heard the statement, you're bringing your work home? Some of you are bringing it home. It's keeping you up at night. You're so angry, so frustrated, so wanting to do something about what you're going through or the unfairness that has happened and the unjust nature of what's happened and, and, and you're just angry, you want vengeance. Let it go. God calls you to let it go. What do you mean let it go, George? Who's going to deal with it then? God. He's not letting it go. In fact, he's telling you to give it to him because he's the one who will take care of it. Did you understand what I'm saying? He's telling you to let go and give it to him because he's the one who will set it right ultimately because he knows all of the details of the situation. He knows exactly what it needs to happen. He knows exactly what has happened. Nobody else may believe you, but he does. If we're going to live honorably among unbelievers, we must let things go. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm just being honest with you. We've got to let it go. Here's the second thing. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you must follow the Lord's example. You ever done this? <laughs> I wouldn't suggest this in your marriage. It doesn't work. Okay? Get in a brouhaha with your with your your sweetie or your loved one, and then you know they'll say, "Well, you did this," and then here's your response: "Well, so do you." You ever notice that one doesn't work? You're not to follow somebody else's example because they're fallen human beings. The example that you are to follow, as far as your response to the stuff that you go through, is who? The perfect one. Jesus. That's what we're called to. Isn't that what it says in verse 21? You are called to endure this and to what? Follow the example of who? Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. So if you're sitting there and your natural reaction is to want to just erupt and, and, and react to whatever the unfairness is, take a deep breath. In fact, let's just do that all right now, because a lot of us, we need it right now, right? Let's take it. 
Suck it in, people. Let's suck the air out of this room, okay? Take a deep breath and pause. And ask yourself, Lord, how do you want me to respond? Because I know how my flesh wants to respond. We know how our flesh wants to respond, right? So as a follower of Jesus, you must follow the Lord's example. Folks, I'm not naive, because I'm just like you. In and of ourselves, when we look at what he's saying in this passage, a big word pops into my mind. Impossible. And it's right. This seems impossible. But God calls us to do the impossible. Why? Because he knows that you can only do it through him. So you go to him and you say to him, Lord, I know what you're calling me to do. I know how you're asking me to respond. I know how you want me to handle this. But I need your help. Do it through me. May that be our prayer. Let's pray.